صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Nasa. Good morning, listeners. How are you, Nasa? I'm fantastic. We've got another fantastic, super-duper episode of Palestine Remembered today, Rob. Every week, we just seem to be getting more brilliant and more brilliant. I'm not saying that the others haven't been brilliant, but we've had Ramsey Barud on before, who's been doing work for years, and we've met him. He's a great friend of, of the show. Welcome, Ramsey. How are you? I am well, Robert. How are you? And thank you for having me uh, on the show again. We should actually just give a brief rundown of Ramsey's work. Of course. It's been a while since he's been on the show, but Ramsey is a journalist and editor of the Palestine Chronicle. He's the author of six books. He's going to talk about his most recent one in a moment. He's also the non-resident senior research fellow at the Centre for Islam and Global Affairs and also at the Afro-Middle East Centre. Welcome, Ramsey. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. Ramsey, Can you tell us a little bit about your Nakba story? Well, my Nakba story is, is in a sense, quite typical to the stories of, of millions of Palestinians who have been dispossessed of their homes and their lands and, and their livelihoods and are pushed out into the great unknown. And uh, millions of them are still living, uh, sadly and tragically, in refugee camps all across Palestine itself, of course, the Middle East and in diaspora all over the world. My grandparents and my parents hail from a village called Beit Daras. Uh, this village is uh, it's, uh, small in size, but quite significant in terms of the uh, Palestinian culture and folklore as it represented really kind of a core of resistance in southern Palestine. Uh, during the uh, Zionist invasion and uh, that led to the Nakba. We are known uh, in that village of at least that rep- reputation still defines people from the from Bedaras known as the Badrasawis of having large heads. In actuality, we really don't have large heads per se. It's, <laughs> Ramzi, it's, it might it's, be a uh, while since you've seen Robert, but uh, Robert might be from there as well. He's got a large head. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the reference here is that the people from Bedaras are quite stubborn. They're very generous, very kind, hospitable, but also quite stubborn. And that's why there is definitely from there. lasted for as long as it did. There were three major battles where the Zionists tried to take over Beit Daras. And they only succeeded in the third battle, of course, with the help of the British forces in that region, uh, eventually leading to what is known as the massacre of Beit Daras, a massacre that I tried to document in my books, uh, especially my father was a freedom fighter, Gaza's Untold Story, because it hasn't really deserved, uh, received The attention is it, uh, it deserves. Hundreds of people were, were killed and wounded in that massacre, leading to the ethnic cleansing of Beit Daras and the Nakba that followed. Uh, we, uh, my family, ended up in a refugee camp in the Gaza Strip known as Nusayrat, which in its own right 
it's also a citadel of resistance in Palestine uh, up to this day. And uh, so I was born and raised in a refugee camp, hearing all these stories of Bedaras and learning the heroism and the struggle and the resistance of the people and, and leading to uh, up to this day, you know. So I feel like in a sense, um, my fight is really not for Nusayrat alone, but essentially it is for Bedaras as a microcosm and a, and a representation of the 500 Palestinian towns, villages, and localities that were destroyed uh, during the Israeli or the Zionist onslaught and the Nakba of 1947-1948. And that takes you, Ramzi, from that refugee status, from living as you did with those memories of a Nakba, to your work. You're an academic, you're an author, and the Palestine Chronicle. Tell us about that, gen- the genesis of that and how, and we'll put a link to it in the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, so make sure you go there and a link to Ramzi's own website. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the Palestine Chronicle. It's incredible, Nasser, how, how our past uh, and our early experiences in life shape our values and belief system and, and, and behavior, most likely until the day we die. And, and that's really, for me, Beit Daras and Nusayrat and living, growing up in, in Gaza made me much closer to the people's narratives and how the story of Palestine is being told through the people. I've uh, I've never lived really in an environment in which there was a, a Palestinian government or state or centralized power, um, you know, that shaped my ideas and beliefs. Um, I lived in a place in which only the people had impacted me, their sacrifices, their courage, their victimization, their resistance. And as a result, uh, everything that I've done in terms of my work as a journalist, uh, my books, my research as an academic, uh, and the way that I understand and convey history, and of course, in my journalism as well, was largely shaped by all of these experiences. When I first left Gaza, the refugee camp that was in 1994, left to the United States to uh, continue with my education, I was shocked to see how Palestine is conveyed uh, within the pro-Palestine solidarity groups and communities and, and all of that. Uh, I didn't see the Palestine that I know. I didn't see the Gaza that I've known. I've, I haven't seen the people uh, being influencers in, in, in how our understanding of Palestine is shaped. There was something very strange about all of this, and I wrote about it at length in the past. And, and eventually it affected the way I conveyed and wrote Palestine throughout the last 25 plus years of my career, which is a Palestine is, that is centered in a people's narrative. Um, so I pursued my PhD in people's history of Palestine. All the book I have written um, are books that are shaped by people's stories and testimonies. And for me, it has always been this incredible challenge because very little has been done in that particular type of research. And I'm not talking about testimonies of Palestinians living, you know, the Intifada, living who lived the Nakba, who lived the war. I am talking about the ability to use these testimonies to actually put them together in a way that shapes history and our understanding of history, as opposed to simply being the raw material of history. What if people not only create history, but articulate history as well? So it's been really such an an exciting but also rewarding journey in research and writing. And the Palestine Chronicle is more or less kind of almost like a journalistic manifestation of that belief. 
So if you look at the Palestine Chronicle, the ideas, the stories, the news, the photos, the videos are also centered around that concept, as opposed to someone articulating Palestine in a detached way from somewhere else, the Palestinian story, whether in news or academia, is actually being conveyed by the people themselves. And it's, it's really, again, it's been quite rewarding in the sense that there's a large space that has been quite unexplored in the way that Palestine is, is conveyed. And the way that the readers uh, uh, interact with it has been quite rewarding as well because again there's so much that is unknown and when you convey palestine in that way it's like people discovering palestine for the first time just just on that ramsey i was going to say that i um the book that i read of yours not long ago shone its light on everything you said it was all the stories which means that i could connect with them it was the last earth the palestine story and it's one of those books that you can't put down but you feel that you were there. So that you're not discussing them as a whole, but as an individual, which is so moving, so moving, and it just stays with you. So, you know, that's a fantastic book. So I just want to let you know that that's, sort of, that's what it did to me. It sort of cut right at home of what these people go through individually uh, and not as a whole, which I think is really important. That's right, Robert. Thank you so much for that. And, and just a couple of quick points about, about that type of writing and that book in particular is that the way that we select our characters has absolutely nothing to do with ideology, with political factionalism, uh, you know, or, or, or trying to find people whose job is to serve as uh, people who are responding to Zionist propaganda. So basically, the attempt is, here is to free the Palestinian from all the confines imposed on him or her, not only by the Zionist propaganda that's been prevailing in the West for so many years, but also the confines that we, including the Palestinians themselves, have imposed on the Palestinian. We're not looking for people who are victims per se, heroes per se, but ordinary Palestinians whose stories, once you know, placed together in, in, in some sort of a context, provide a story of the larger Palestinian collective. And many of these people, if not all of them, really never interacted, never met one another. But somehow it's like as if they are continuing which with each other's stories, like similar to the question that Nasser asked me about my Nakba story. There are so many Palestinians out there um, who would continue what I started or I continued what they started because essentially our story is the same. And once you kind of find that common denominator between all of these stories, somehow you are also going to find the Palestinian people. That's brilliant. And you've actually led the conversation, Ramzi, and congratulations to you. For so long, we were colonizers of voice. We are not voiceless, but we are being silenced. And that increasingly, you know, the narrative of nothing about us without us is prevailing. And congratulations to you and, and the team at the Palestine Chronicle. We're going to get to your book in a second, Ramzi. You wrote an article, it's called Palestinians are not the animals in the zoo. On Ghassan Kanafani and the need to redefine the role of the victim intellectual. Shirin Abu Akla was murdered, assassinated a couple of months ago. Israel has gone out of its way to take out, murder, assassinate our intellectuals. 
Hossein Kanafani, 50 years ago, was assassinated by an Israeli hit squad in Beirut. They also killed his niece with him in a car bomb. I'm going to play a clip of Hossein Kanafani being interviewed with the late Australian reporter Richard Carlton. It does seem that the war, the civil war, has been quite fruitless. It's not a civil war. It's a people defending themselves against a fascist government, which you are defending. It's not a civil war. Well, the conflict... It's not a conflict. It's a liberation movement fighting for justice. Well, whatever it might be best called... It's not whatever, because this is where the problems start. This is a people who is discriminated, is fighting for his rights. This is a story. Why won't your organization engage in peace talks with the Israelis? You don't mean exactly peace talks. You mean capitulation, surrendering. Why not just talk? Talk to whom? Talk to the Israeli leaders. That's kind of conversation between the sword and the neck, you mean? Well, if there were no swords and no guns in the room, you could still talk. No, I haven't been, I had never seen any talk between a colonialist case and a national liberation movement. But despite this, why not talk? Talk about what? Talk about the possibility of not fighting. Not fighting for what? Not fighting at all, no matter what for. Yeah, and people usually fight for something and they stop fighting for something. So you can't tell me even why should we speak about what? Well, stop fighting. Fight for what? Or, or talk about stop fighting why? Talk to stop fighting to stop the death and the misery, the destruction, the pain. The misery and the destruction and the pain and the death of whom? Of Palestinians, of Israelis, of Arabs. Of the Palestinian people who are uprooted, thrown in the camps, living in starvation, killed for 20 years and uh, forbidden to use even the name Palestinians. They're better that way than dead though. Maybe to you, but to us it's not. To us, to liberate our country, to have dignity, to have respect, to have our mere human rights is something as essential as life itself. So Ramzi, that was Hassan Kanafani 50 years ago speaking to Richard Carlton. Nothing's changed for Palestinians as evidenced by the, the assassination of Sharia Nawakli. Nothing has changed, but just one thing that I'd really like to say about the power of Hassan Kanafani's narrative. In that generation of Palestinian resistors, the Palestinian intellectual warrior, the type of Hassan Kanafani, there were so many of them. I mean, you know, some, you know, we, we end up, Hassan, because of his story, was quite powerful as an individual. He was not uh, he was involved with the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. He was a, a leading Palestinian militant, but really his militancy kind of displayed itself uh, and in, in, in his writings and his novels. And, you know, many of us growing up in Palestine and outside Palestine kind of, uh, you know, were raised on his writings. I, I think the radical element, intellectual element in many of us come from Ghassan Kanafani. Uh, Ghassan Kanafani was killed uh, or assassinated by Israel two weeks before I was born. So there was this always, uh, uh, this connection that I've had to Ghassan Kanafani to the point that when I began writing poetry in Palestine, the name that was given to me in Gaza was Young Kanafani or Kanafani As-Saghir. And I took so much pride in that. And I felt kind of the weight of, you know, just having any kind of affiliation with someone of that power and that intellect and, and that clarity, that clarity that has, that apologizes to no one 
you know, the likes of Gramsci and Fanon and Saeeds and, and these individuals that really do not feel that they are in any way um, intimidated by the fear that maybe the target audience is not going to appreciate this. Maybe we need to, you know, mold our narrative in such a way to accommodate the status quo or the realities on the ground. To the contrary, he was radical in, in a sense that represented the power of the Palestinian voice at the time. And sadly, we are, and I wrote recently, in that particular article, actually, I wrote about the Palestinian victim intellectual that has, in a way that is permitted to narrate whenever we have permission to narrate, as Edward Said put it, is that it's the permission to be victim. And that is the best we can expect from the Washington Post or the New York Times. In my early career, I tried to... Um, you know, get published in mainstream media to some degree of success, but always my language was very monitored to ensure that I do not say anything that may seem insensitive or it does not capture the, you know, or does not accommodate the sensibilities of Western audiences, only with time to realize that this is not the way to narrate Palestine whatsoever. It's the Ghassan Kenefani way. It's the Fanon way. It's the Gramsci way. Uh, that we and the Malcolm X way. You have to take a moral stance, no matter what are the pressures, no matter what are the sacrifices, and no matter what the price. And in the case of many of these intellectuals, uh, they were either killed or died in prison and so forth. And, and now, of course, Israel is at it again. They are going after the powerful Palestinian voices like that of Shirin Abu Akleh, uh, Ali Samoudi, and many Palestinian journalists in the in the West Bank and Gaza, because they are the kind of the modern intellectuals in a sense. I mean, when, when Shirin Abu Akleh spoke, she did not just report the news, she provided context. And at times she spoke poetry, you know, so it, it is that kind of journalism, that kind of truth telling that is terrifying from an Israeli point of view. Uh, because it again, it 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 safeguards the radical narrative of Ghassan Kenefani and that generation. We need to invest more in that because only these these prophets of Palestinian uh, of the Palestinian discourse, Palestinian ideas, Palestinian culture that will eventually be able to turn the tables on Israel and will be able to recreate the Palestinian discourse not around the priorities of. Uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas and the Oslo peace process and that whole corrupt culture, but priorities around a truly representative Palestinian discourse that speaks to the sacrifices and the resistance of the Palestinian people everywhere. Saramzi, you've chosen a song for us. This is Sara by uh, Reem Benna, a very beautiful and emotive uh, song about a Palestinian girl. Palestine. 
Sarah by the amazing Rimbanna. We are joined by Dr. Ramzi Baroud, who's a journalist and editor of the Palestine Chronicle, author of six books. He is a non-resident senior research fellow at the Center for Islam and Global Affairs and also at the Afro Middle East Center. Now, Ramzi, you wrote a book uh, a while ago saying my father was a freedom fighter. Now, you have a daughter that's following your footsteps. Do you think she'll be writing a book to say that her father was a freedom fighter? And tell us, how is she following in your footsteps? Because I believe that she is. You know, I, I uh, thank you. That's, that's a great question. Um, when I told, I talked to my father when um, 
towards the end of his life. And, and uh, my father died in a, in a refugee camp in Gaza. He was quite ill. We did not know what was the source of his ailment. Um, he needed to go to a West Bank hospital uh, called Al-Maqasid, uh, where my brother works. Uh, but the Israelis would not uh, grant him permission. Um, so he passed away in Gaza and, and uh, shortly before he died, um, I asked him, I said, um, maybe, maybe you can help me. So, you know, uh, convey some of the memories that you would like to, you know, to pass on to the next generation so I can write a book about you. And he, he kind of um, chuckled and said, uh, uh, son, um, I don't think anyone would be interested in a book about uh, uh, a peasant, Fallah. Uh, like me, and of course, the majority of Palestinians come from uh, from that background, peasants, fellahin, who ended up really being the core of the Palestinian resistance. If you if you take the fellahin out, there is no resistance in Palestine throughout the generations. And, and I, I disagreed, and I said, no, that a lot of people will be interested in your story. Well, I wrote the story after he passed away. And it was translated to many languages. Uh, films were inspired by it. Songs were inspired by it. Other books uh, were inspired by it. And, and I, so I, I kind of uh, belatedly thought, my goodness, like my father had no idea how much people um, appreciated uh, his story. So I don't know if Zarifa, if she does, I, I do think the same thing. I don't think anyone would be interested in my story, but if she does, we'll see what happens long time from now. But I'm very, very proud of Zarifa. She's doing her PhD in Palestine studies at the University of Exeter. Her supervisor is the great Ilan Pape. Uh, she, is a wow. media, <laughs> she, she is a media manager for a top Palestinian organization in Washington, DC. She does great work. and. I, I am very, very proud of her, not only because of the fact that she also carries the name of her grandmother, Zarifa, uh, but also for carrying on the legacy of powerful women in my family and in Palestinian society, as has been the case for many years. Well, I think it won't be long before we have her on our show as well. <laughs> Tell us about your latest book, Ramzi. Our vision for liberation is a book that really needed to be written. It's, it's a book that took us maybe two years to put together. Uh, it's co-edited by me and uh, Professor Ilan Pape. It contains the stories of 29 Palestinian intellectuals, each uh, with an incredible legacy of her or his own, some archeologists, some doctors, some charity workers, some journalists. The idea here was to, instead of you know, just waiting for solutions to be imposed on the Palestinian people, instead of having the discussion on the future of Palestine be determined by detached, disengaged intellectuals, politicians outside Palestine. The idea was, what if we have the future of Palestine articulated by the Palestinians themselves? But since Palestine is not such a simple cliche, uh, uh, term as in, you know, I my solution is one, two, three. It's, it's far more complex than that. We chose a group of Palestinian intellectuals and activists and workers according to the Gramscian principle of engagement. The engaged intellectual is someone who doesn't talk at the people, is someone who's, who is from the people and is involved in everyday struggles of the people. To tell us about that specific 
experience that he or she had throughout the years. And in a way, try to offer through their own personal narratives, through their own personal stories, Nakba stories, if you will, because the vast majority of them are also refugees, to try to leave something for the coming generation of our failures and our successes, what doesn't work and what does work, and where are we now and where do we want to be from uh, starting today. And, and the idea here was also to bring all of these narratives together that when written as a collective of stories to try to help kind of take the first steps in the right directions towards rethinking Palestine in all of its manifestations, Palestinian history, uh, Palestinian cinema, Palestinian politics, Palestinian diplomacy. Factionalism was not in any way uh, affiliated or related to this project. None of the writers was asked to relay his experience as involved in any Palestinian groups per se, although that was part of the story, And but it wasn't really critical to the story itself. So we wanted to prove that we can tell the story of Palestine and provide our way of a collective solution to the so-called conflict in Palestine without having to go through the Israeli Zionist narrative, without having to be reactionaries to the mainstream bias narratives, but also without having to delve into the same factional Palestinian discourse either. It is an experiment that we doubt that it has been done before, and we really hope that it could be the starter of a very, very urgent conversation on Palestine, in Palestine itself and all over the world. The book is already out in Arabic, and it's already engaging a lot of uh, intellectuals throughout the Middle East. It should be out in, in Spanish, Italian, and French quite soon. Fantastic, Ramzi. Thanks so very much. We're going to put a link in the podcast to the Palestine Chronicle, to Ramzi's own website, but also to a YouTube clip where you can see Ramzi, Ilan Pape, and the magnificent Radakami speaking about uh, the book and the book launch, and also some links so you can actually buy that book. Ramzi, it's been a great pleasure to have you with us again. Congratulations and power to you. Can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, thank you very much, Nasser and Robert, and keep up the good work, guys, and hopefully we'll get to see you again in the future. Well, hopefully we'll see you in a few months. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.